Yes, that's the foghorn, and that means it is time for the Cavish Ships podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. Coming up, it's been a busy month of May in the naval world, from the lightning round of budget hearings on Capitol Hill to open controversy among senior active and retired Marines. And now, of course, the need for speed is powering a dynamic Memorial Day weekend at the movies. We'll move through all that and more. But first, a look at naval news around the world. The U.S. Navy's command investigation into the October 2nd underwater grounding of the attack submarine USS Connecticut with a seamount was released May 23rd. The heavily redacted document shows widespread failures among the crew of the nuclear-powered sub, in some cases going back two years before the collision in the South China Sea, during which the submarine's bow was heavily damaged. All the submarine's top leadership command were subsequently removed for failures, not just during the collision, but for actions leading up to the event. The Navy has declined to provide details of damage to the submarine, but in releasing the report, the service noted the Connecticut will be unavailable for operation for an extended period of time due to damage sustained in the grounding. The Connecticut is one of three Seawolf-class submarines, which have twice the weapons-carrying capability of Virginia-class submarines. NATO's annual Baltops naval exercises are set to begin June 5th, notably hosted this year by Sweden, a partner nation but not a full NATO member. Up to 20 countries will take part in about 11 days of exercises in and around the Baltic Sea. The U.S. Sixth Fleet flagship USS Mount Whitney is among about 50 ships taking part. A total of six littoral combat ships are currently deployed, marking a high point for the U.S. Navy's LCS program, even as service leaders attempt to scale back the number of LCSs in commission. The Sioux City is at Suda Bay, Crete, making the first LCS deployment to the Mediterranean, while Freedom-class sister ships Wichita and Billings are deployed in Central America with the U.S. Fourth Fleet, and the Jackson, Tulsa, and Charleston of the Independence class remain deployed in the Western Pacific. The assault ship Tripoli arrived at Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni, Japan on May 20th while on an independent deployment. At Iwakuni, the Tripoli took on board F-35B Lightning II Joint Strike Fighters of Marine Corps Fighter Attack Squadron 121 and was back at sea on May 23rd operating with the JSFs, which are based at Iwakuni. Tripoli is expected to operate as an adjunct carrier in a further demonstration of the Marine Corps' lightning carrier concept during upcoming Valiant Shield joint exercises in early June in the Philippine Sea and Marianas. In late March and early April, the Tripoli embarked up to 24 F-35Bs off Southern California in a lightning carrier demonstration of using the assault ships for dedicated fixed-wing aircraft operations. Two British Navy submarines, HMS Talent and HMS Trenchant, were decommissioned May 20th at Devonport Naval Base near Plymouth, England, leaving only one Trafalgar-class submarine in service, HMS Triumph. Talent and Trenchant each served a total of 32 years. The T-boats are being replaced by the Astute class, of which the fourth HMS Audacious achieved full operating capability in April. Three more Astute-class submarines are in various stages of construction. The Italian destroyer Chao Duilio arrived at Norfolk Naval Base in Virginia, May 23rd, to take part in the upcoming Composite Unit Training Exercise, or COMP2X, with the George H.W. Bush Carrier Strike Group, set to run through June. 
According to the Italian Navy, Daduilio spent four months preparing for the deployment with the U.S. carrier group. And in new ship news, the Virginia-class attack submarine USS Oregon, SSN 793, will be commissioned May 28th in a ceremony at submarine base Groton, Connecticut. And the littoral combat ship Augusta, LCS-34, was launched May 23rd by Austral USA in Mobile, Alabama. And that's a look at just some of this week's naval news. Moving to the discussion portion of the show, uh, Chris, as you mentioned at the top, it's been a very busy month of May uh, for naval issues. Uh, we've been lucky enough to have guests the last three weeks, so we thought we'd take this week leading up to the long weekend and spend a little bit of time, just the two of us, kind of going through uh, the issues that caught our attention. Um, the first issue is that of uh, budget testimony by naval leaders up on Capitol Hill. Uh, as you re remember, the budget was rolled out on Monday, March 28th, um, and we've had uh, the CNO, the Secretary of the Navy, and the Commandant up on the Hill in front of the HASC on May 11th, uh, in front of the SASC on the next day on May 12th. Um, then they had the Sea Power Subcommittees uh, a week later on May 18th. Uh, and then later that day, they were in front of the HACD. And then just this past week, they were in front of the SACD. Um, I was surprised, Chris, I'll kind of go first. I, I thought you would see, just given the budget, given the decrease in ships, and given the war, I thought you would see Navy leaders really up there beating the sea power drum. I actually thought you'd also see a, a similar um, message from Congress. Now, we, we heard the typical uh, congressional response from folks like Elaine Luria and Mike Gallagher and Roger Wicker and, and others that have you know been asking the Navy, hey, where's their plan to grow and how do you get to 355 and how do you deal with the Chinese? Um, but I was really kind of left feeling blah over, you, you know, the, those five hearings. I mean, I just, I thought this would be a great moment to clarify the message on both sides. I thought it would be a great opportunity um, as we keep hearing that Congress may add as much as 80 or, or $100 billion to the defense budget. And I mean, if I was a congressional leader, I wouldn't give the Navy any more money based upon what they asked for. Uh, and then, you know, yesterday you have the CNO talking about, um, you, you know, giving the LCSs potentially to South American Navy. So, it, you know, it just didn't go the way that I thought. I, you, you know, so either I was out to lunch or they missed an opportunity. Um, you know, over to you for your thoughts. <laughs> well, maybe out to lunch is not not an inoperative phrase here. Um, yeah, it, it was really, it was a real blah, meh um, testimony on all sides, all sides. Um, I thought the, the the Department of the Navy testimony was not energized, um, not very. I mean, if if this is a pregame talk, I'm not very excited yet. Um, I can't get too excited about it. The Hill people, the Congress critters on all sides. Um, nobody's happy with the budget. Nobody mm -hmm. likes the budget. Um, you know, you have the usual people who like to focus on their um, you know, the issues that are important to their districts, but in general, even the people who are being very cranky about the, you know, the lack of size, the, the lack of ships, the lack of size with what the Chinese are doing, it's just people just would say, this is, this is bad. This is unacceptable. This is terrible. I don't understand this. And then that was it. Um, nobody's offering a plan either, by the way. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one thing for, 
the administration to not ask for the resources that a lot of people are expecting them to ask for. But that's been true for some years, quite some years. This goes back really into the Obama years, but the Obama years were, were hobbled by sequestration and the ridiculousness that surrounded that. Um, the Trump years, people were waiting for a whole lot more that never came. And right now people are, you know, where is it? Where's the meat? Where's the beef? And if you want Congress to plus this stuff up, if it's not going to come from the, from the Pentagon, from the White House, where's, where are the leaders in that? Where are the people taking charge of that? Other than just being cranky. And they're, they're definitely cranky people. I don't like it. This is terrible. I don't understand this. Fine. What's your plan? What, what are you doing to get this thing going? Um, it's just not there. There's no, and they, you know, the really, the, the sad thing is that, that, that you come away with just shaking your head. They just don't care. They, the Hill, for all the rhetoric that some of them put out, where is it? Where, where are you? You know, the, the last hearing there, the Senate Armed Services, uh, the Senate Appropriations Committee, Defense Subcommittee. Um, this is the money. You know, the has the Armed Services Committees are all about policy. And that's where you get a whole lot of speeches. But the appropriations committees are the ones that, you know, you can say, talk about speeches and policy all you want, but if you don't have the money to carry that stuff out, you know, whoop-de-doo. And the attendance in those here in those committees is abysmal, freaking abysmal. And this is the money. This is your chance. The SAC D, an hour and five minutes. Out of 18 members, seven showed up at various, most of them for only enough time to ask their questions and then leave again. I know they're busy. I mean, I, I got that. I've been covering the Hill. And I've been around the Hill really all my life. And, but this is the one time of year, that one day when you focus on that particular issue, in addition to all the other things that everybody up there has to focus on. And you, you can't give it more than an hour, an hour. You can't show up for 15 minutes, for 10 minutes. You know, Mitch McConnell, when has he ever showed up to the SAC D here? He's, all, he's got a seat. There's a, there's a seat. There, there, he's got a name tag. It always sits over on the table. Does he ever show up and take part? No. And, you know, just where, where's the leadership on the Hill? Bitch, 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 bitch. Wine, 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 wine. Moan, moan, moan. Do something about it. The request is a request. You, Congress, get to pass on that. You want to add something? You want to plus something? Talk about it. And the way they do these these here these uh, hills, the, the, the way they do these bills now, um, they rush through at the last minute. You know, after after five seven extensions and uh, do an omnibus bill, and you've literally got you know fifty seconds, if that, in a in a conference hearing conference meeting to uh, make your point for a particular program up or down, down or up more money, less money. And it just becomes a, it's it just becomes a game, a shell game, moving, moving money around. We're not even considering the issues. They have so much to, to do at the last minute. And it's amazing how, how little attention gets paid at the top. And it's just, uh, it's just, you, you, you just shake your head. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel the, I, I guess I shake my head, not just on the congressional side, but on the, the department of Navy side, I felt like the secretary was flat and yep. all of his, uh, 
you know, appearances, normally a very high energy guy. I, I felt like he missed an opportunity. I don't, I don't know if he still hasn't figured out exactly where he wants to take the department. Um, the CNO who's been CNO now for going on almost three years. I, I, I don't know that he's figured out where he wants to take the Navy um, or, and, or if they have, they're just being very polite and very deferential to the administration and not wanting to rock the boat. But I, I guess, I mean, again, to me, this is the time to rock the boat. So um, I thought when they rolled the budget out in March that there was no way that they would lose the LCS and the cruisers and, you know, we'd go to a 280 ship Navy. I Now, I, I mean, I don't know that anybody's going to do anything to stop it. A year and a half or so, we'll be down to 280 ships and, you know, we'll just have to deal with it. And it'll be on the back of the men and women who remain on those ships to, you know, tow the load. I don't, know, I don't know where this is going, but I can't say I can't say there was anything to get terribly excited about in any of those hearings from any side, from anybody in the room. And that's really disappointing. And, I, you know, even Commandant Berger um, looks like a beleaguered person. Yeah. Right now. He does. Um, cool. And he, he, he's been the one actually showing leadership, real leadership in the last three years. But uh, he, he looked at it comes off to me like it's really wearing on him and before we get to the Connecticut investigation, which we mentioned in the news items, I, I did want to just talk a little bit about sure. the Marines. Um, yeah. We were fortunate enough to have Bob work on, uh, Secretary Bob work uh, last week to talk about, we kind of decided to talk more about the cultural um, issues associated with the back and forth between the retired uh, generals and uh, the commandant. But Given some of the back and forth during the hearings and given some of the writing that has taken place over the, the budget season, I, I think that, you know, I wanted to just ask, um, you know, why more hasn't been, you know, maybe discussed about the, the opportunity to test and, and ring out some of these concepts, you, you know, as you mentioned, you, you know, you referred to Berger and his leadership. I mean, he certainly has a vision for where he wants to, to take the Marine Corps and, um, he seems to be willing to take fleet feedback and, and incorporate it into that vision. And, you know, as we see with what the Tripoli is doing, trying to figure out how to be an adjunct carrier and um, working with different fixed wing aircraft off of that ship. Um, I, I just wonder if there's an opportunity to do similar things uh, in the lead up to the laws. Um, you know, there's a lot that's been talked about in terms of skinning down some of these units um, at the squad level um, and breaking them up and putting them on laws or other platforms. It would seem to me like they're doing with the Tripoli. Now would be a great time to do that. We talked about six LCS being underway. Wow. What, what would, uh, you know, 25 or 30 Marines on board one of those LCS look and feel like, what if you put, you know, double that number um, on an LPD 17 with a DDG escort um, and sent them off to do things. Right. Um, so I'd love to see just again, picking up on where Bob work talked last week, I'd love to see the Marines and the Navy ring out some of these uh, concepts in advance of the laws. One, I think it would help. Um, I think it would help answer some of the criticism of the retired community. Two, I think it would help generate some of the requirements for the laws 
um, actual tangible requirements with real world testing. And three, and probably most importantly, I think it would drive the Chinese nuts. I mean, if they, you know, if you had 200 Marines kind of bouncing around on a variety of different ships over a six month period, doing different tests with different types of weapons or different types of manned and unmanned platforms, you know, working with them. Um, I, I think it would, we'd not only learn a ton, but I think it would keep them guessing. I, you know, I, I mean, I find it incredibly frustrating that, okay, if the, you know, the, the, the idea with the Troll combat ship is it's, it was modular. It was, it's, it's got space. It has room to do stuff with, and it is not about what you see on it today. So like the CNO has been saying, well, you know, those freedom class ships, they were supposed to do ASW, but they're terrible for ASW. So we don't want them. Well, that wasn't the only thing. And that was only one of three things that they started with. And there were supposed to be more ideas, including, uh, wait a minute, what was it? A Marine module. That's it. They wanted to put some Marines on it as well. And it's designed for it. You, you, you can do that. Um, I'm not sure why we need a new boat that no, that can't defend itself and that, that needs high value assets to go around and defend it which is what the law is. Um, you have an LCS. If you don't want them to do what they originally did, that's great. If you don't like the combining gear, here's an idea. Take out the, the uh, gas turbines, um, put in a whole bunch of bunkerage fuel um, and more, uh, more um, space for people on board and turn those things into some kind of fast transport, which is a concept that was quite successful um, 50 years ago. Uh, and you know, put Marines on actually was old destroyers, and then then converted destroyer escorts. Uh, you would then have so even with half the half the power plant, you could do twenty some odd knots, a whole lot better than whatever the laws is going to be able to do. Um, it would do everything the laws can do except beach itself, and I'm not sure why that's so important. Um, this ship has a has a really large mission bay. You can put eleven meter ribs in there, no problem. Um, has a much, much bigger flight deck, a much, much bigger hangar. It has a, uh, a combat system that's already in integrated into the fleet and understood. It's a, it's a far more viable asset. Just convert them. It wouldn't cost you that much money and it wouldn't take you that long. And if you want to experiment with things, that's a whole lot better approach to my, in my little pea brain here than leasing craft that have nothing to do with this law concept and even using the the uh, the um, epfs the, um, the high-speed expeditionary ships that's not what you want to do anyway so why are you bothering with that anyway that's uh, no i i think you're right and i mean i hope folks like elaine luria and mike gallagher and others um kind of hold the marines and the navy's feet to the fire um yeah. you know continue to praise the marines for they're out of the box thinking and, you know, force the Navy to, instead of just shedding uh, some right. of this force structure, let's think differently about it. So. Make lemons out of lemonade. Exactly. Doggone it. Okay. Exactly. So let's get to the Connecticut. Um, th this uh, got quite a bit of uh, ink, um, you know, when the, when the report came out, um, it, it still baffles me that it takes so long to get these reports out um, and that so much of it was, um, was redacted. I mean, just given the, I guess, the fact that it is a submarine and it was a submarine community that had the lead on the investigation, I, I guess I'm not surprised, but I, I thought that, you know, maybe they would share a little bit more. Again, the Navy kind of hung this on the 05 and, you know, the XOCO, CMC, it's all their fault. Uh, no flags, no Commodores fired. Hey, either A, we're putting people in a position where they're not ready to do the job of command or B, we're not keeping an eye on them when they're out there. I, I just don't understand how you run a submarine 
into a seamount. And then you not only say that it was the fault of the triad for the actual collision, but you say that, you know, their uh, incompetence goes back several months. And, you know, again, nobody above them uh, is, is really called out to the degree oh. that they were. So it's a, it, it's a pattern that's going back even up to two years. I mean, yeah. the question, you know, these are, these are three really, really high value assets. The, the three Seawolf submarines, these are not just anybody who's on these boats. Um, these are, these are very good people in the community that's made up of very good people to begin with. And it's just kind of staggering that you could have this kind of, these kind of failures at all, not to mention repeatedly over time, where is everybody? Where was the awareness of all this? The, the, the irony really is that, you know, as, as everybody's been uh, focusing on the surface community um, for the first, for, for some years about, you know, lack of standards, lack of ability to think, like, you know, navigational ability, safe, all, all, I mean, any number of professional level criteria. And the people who've run those reviews, who've been in charge of, of, of passing judgment on them, have invariably been from the submarine community. And all of us who know submariners, um, and I know and very much like an awful lot of submariners, um, usually speak with some level of you know, jaundiced contempt for for the the people who drive boats on the service or targets as they call them and you know they the the level of seamanship that they view among the service ships is usually pretty poor so there there is an irony here this is not a service that has not had its own problems um some years ago the the, the submarines there, there was a there was a whole series of um collisions and and mishaps among the submarine force they righted their ship so to speak They've been doing pretty well, but now clearly they're not, you know, what, what else has been slipping? You've got to ask among the submarine force. We've all focused on the, on the surface force. What else is happening in subland? That's, 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 I think one of the major takeaways is you've got to be kidding. Everybody knew that this was a substandard crew. Why are they out there? Yeah. I mean, I'll double down on what you said. I mean, especially in the wake of Fitzgerald and McCain, um, a lot of the submariners that were, um, you know, informed as to what was going on in the investigation. I mean, they were very um, forthright in sharing the fact that, you know, this just doesn't happen in the submarine community that, you know, you have sub uh, squadrons that, you know, the squadron has got a very close, keeps a very close eye on each boat and down to not only their, you know, maintenance and operational issues, but also tracks the performance of the wardroom and the chief's mess and the, and the crew. And, you know, when there are problems, they, um, you know, jump in early. And so that's why I was very surprised. I mean, I thought what, what you were going to see out of this was, Hey, the, the ship had a bad day, right? I mean, you know, somebody right. lost the the plot or something happened or, or, or whatever. I, I was not ready to see the fact that they kind of blamed them for two years of, of falling short. Um, and then was really surprised when there wasn't a Commodore, a former Commodore called out for it or a former flag officer uh, called out for it. So um, I hope that folks on the Hill and I, or within the community kind of raise their hand and say, hey, wait a second, this is kind of, uh, you know, an anathema to our ethos here that, you know, I thought we didn't do this. Um, so we'll, we'll see if more uh, discussion comes out of it. There should be more. I think there will be more fallout from this. This was just a command investigation. It just it took took what six, seven months at least for yeah. this to be to be finally released. So there's there's more coming. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, turning from <laughs> the surface to the subsurface to high in the sky or 
close to the ground. The need for speed. That's right. I uh, now, folks, I got to tell you that uh, a couple of nights ago, I got a phone call in the evening, <laughs> like ten o'clock, ten thirty, and this guy was it was he had driven an hour to go see a movie, and right. he was going home and he calls me i am ready to go i i want to go back to the boat i'm ready to go back to sea this is fantastic sign me up where do i go i want to get back to the ship let's go so i have not seen the movie so if you haven't you're not going to listen to two guys who have, have who, who were saying haha i saw it already but my my buddy here um cervello already got the got the big screen treatment from top gun 2 so I'll, I'll just simply tell you that before he even starts talking, I have rarely heard this kind of excitement. From yeah, I think my wife was surprised as well. One that I said, hey, let's go to, you know, let's take advantage of Top Gun Tuesday and drive down to Deltona, Florida, which is an hour sort of to the south and west of us to take the kids. And really, it was so that I could see Top Gun, too. And we, we got an opportunity to see it. What a fabulous movie. It connects nicely with the uh, the first movie. Um, it, uh, has all of the things, uh, from a drama standpoint that you want in any, you know, big, uh, blockbuster movie, but I mean, really, I mean, the stars of the show were the super Hornets, I mean, and, the and the naval aviators that flew the actors and actresses in the, uh, in the super Hornets. I mean, the flying in that movie is amazing. Kudos to, as I said, the, the pilots of the Super Hornets. Kudos to Lockheed Martin and the Skunk Works for, um, for kind of playing a part in that. I don't want to give too much away, but I mean, they were featured front and center. Um, the tension between manned and unmanned aircraft was, uh, was a plot line um, that, you know, that, that's in the movie. Um, the tension between the Super Hornet and the Joint Strike Fighter was also a, uh, a plot line in the movie. But um, as, as I said, I mean, I left there ready to go back to the carrier. I spent the first uh, couple years of my career in, in naval aviation. Uh, after I couldn't fly anymore, I transitioned, spent some time on an aircraft carrier as a catapult officer. I loved working on the, uh, on the flight deck every day. And man, after watching that movie, I was ready to go back, was ready to shoot and catch you know, for as long as they'd let me. So uh, I think this will be quite a shot in the arm for Naval aviation. Um, I would imagine it would be a shot in the arm for air force aviation as well. I mean, if uh, you know, the, if the trends now are anything like they were during the first top gun um, this is, this is fantastic for military aviation. Yep. I, well, I, I'm looking forward to sitting around. I, I want, I want big audio. That's what I really want. Is yeah. I mean, it, that, you freedom. know, it's funny. When Tom Cruise, you know, he, he changed the rollout of this several times because he kept saying, you know, this is a big screen movie, right? I mean, you know, if you remember, Greyhound came out during the pandemic um, and went right to Apple TV. And there were other movies that went right to either pay-per-view or, or a streaming service. And he held firm because he believed that you had to see this movie in the theater and all I can say is thank you, Tom Cruise, for for standing your ground. This movie has to be seen on the big screen. So hopefully folks will go out and check it out. All right. Well, doggone it, I will. And, and, and congratulations once again for beating me to the punch. <laughs> now hear this. Now hear this. Now. Well, you know what that means in this week's Squawk, Mr. Cavus. Share some thoughts about those who have made the ultimate sacrifice as we all go into this Memorial Day weekend and take some time to remember our fallen heroes. 
So throughout this century, we've been able to get up close and personal with just about anybody via social media. And as young people went off to war, especially after 9-11, it was possible to get a glimpse into the lives of those who served and gave all, as well as witness the grief that surrounded their loss. Young people right out of high school joined up and eagerly posted pictures of themselves in uniform, smiling with their new comrades, thrilled to be a part of something larger than anything they'd ever known. Many were literally having the time of their lives, and then they were gone. An IED, a sniper's bullet, a helicopter crash. Smiles quickly turned to tears. All that talk about those who make the ultimate sacrifice turned out not to be just talk. And social media allowed those stories to be told in ways beyond those who had fallen in the pre-internet past. But that's why there's Memorial Day. It is important to remember those who gave all while serving their country in the United States Armed Forces. The vast majority were volunteers. A good number were draftees. It is safe to say all of them hoped to one day be a veteran, but instead they're forever on active duty. It is important not to forget their sacrifices. People have been dying for their country since before we were a country. That's what it took to build a nation and then to protect and defend it. It would be wonderful if that were not the case, but sadly there are bad people in the world who wish to do bad things and somebody's got to stop them. We're seeing it again today, not in the US, but in Ukraine, where people who were completely normal civilians just six months ago today are in uniform and fighting and dying to defend their families and fellow citizens. Standing up to bad people is what militaries do, at least hopefully the good ones. It's why we need them, and it is, and it is always dangerous. This weekend, we remain profoundly grateful to all those who gave all they had to give. Yes, we do. Thanks, Chris. Well, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Hey.